to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And while you're turning up, I'm just going to give you a, a background to this particular passage. Okay. The children of Israel had been released from Egypt and were now journeying towards the promised land, the land of Canaan. And as they got near, a nation called the Amalekites came out against them to prevent them from going into their inheritance. Now, Amalek, for those of you that are, just need a little bit of um, uh, Bible background, Amalek was one of the grandsons of Esau. Okay? Now Esau became the nation of Edom, but the Amalekites broke away from them early on in the peace, and they became a nation on their own, and they dominated the northern part of the Sinai Desert. Okay. So, as Israel got near to their inheritance, they came out against them. Now, some of you will know that when Israel initially left Egypt, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy to mass migrate with, when you've got about 2 million people. And so they weren't always a tight-knit group, tight-knit company. Some fell back. They were, were called stragglers. You know, the weak, the very young, the elderly, the sick. They, they kind of dropped back from the main group. And the Amalekites came out and they picked them off one by one. But now they came out en masse to engage Israel in battle as a nation. So that's where we're going to pick up the, the reading at chapter 17 and verse 8. It says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, this morning, of course, we're continuing in our series on uh, your helper, the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to speak about praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. The New Testament speaks a lot about praying in the Spirit. For example, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 18, he said this, that we are to be always praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Jude, when he wrote his little epistle at the end of the Bible there, he said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I would go as far as to say this, that if we don't know how to pray in the Spirit, much of our prayer will actually be ineffective. The key to praying effectively is to learn to pray in the Spirit. Now, every New Testament doctrine is illustrated in the Old Testament. 
It's beautiful. You know, the, the Bible says that whatever things were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition and our learning. So they're like object lessons. They're picture stories that illustrate New Testament truth. That's why the New Testament is much shorter than the Old Testament. People say, but surely the New Testament is more important to us. Yes, but the New Testament is a word book. The Old Testament is a picture book. You need more pages to draw pictures, right? So here we have a picture in the Old Testament that illustrates the whole theme of the doctrine of prayer. Okay, so we've got this battle that's just about to take place. Amalek has came, come out against Israel to stop them from going into their inheritance. Do you know you have an enemy? Do you know you have an enemy? Yes. You know you have an enemy. So the Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare. Praise God, the battle has been won, and yet we've got to stand in that victory. Okay, so we've got to put on the whole armor of God. We have to resist the devil. We have to learn to fight the good fight of faith. These are all New Testament expressions. Okay, but Jesus has already claimed the victory on the cross. Praise God for that. So we've got to learn to stand and to resist the devil. Now, one of the ways that we do that is prayer. Prayer is important in the Christian's life. Now, as Joshua was sent out to fight the battle, Moses and two other men, Aaron and Hur, went up the mountain. And as they were on the top of the hill there, the Bible says that Moses lifted up his hands to the Lord. He was holding the rod of God. Okay, so he held his hands before God. And all the time he held his hands, Israel prevailed over their enemy. But the battle went on all day. And so his hands became weary. And so he let his hands down when they were weary. And you know what happened when he let his hands down? The battle turned. And Amalek began to prevail over Israel. And so Aaron and Hur, they supported Moses, they sat him down on a rock and, and one of them held up one arm like this and the other held the other arm so that his arms were lifted up until the battle was won. Do I have any sweat under my armpits? Let's go. I just, just felt terribly self-conscious all of a sudden. So I wanted to check that. Now, so the lesson is very clear. It was not because of what Joshua did on the plain that determined whether Israel would win, but what happened at the top of the hill. Can you see that? So prayer is the powerhouse behind the Christian life. Prayer is what engages us with God and draws from His grace and His power and His victory so that we might walk in that victory in our lives. Now, let's just finish this reading for a moment. Verse 14, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God said, I'm going to obliterate this nation. They will be no more. There is no nation called the Amalekites today. Who knows that one day Satan will be destroyed, will be cast into the lake of fire. That's the good news. The bad news is that it won't be in your lifetime <laughs> or my lifetime. Okay, it won't be to the end of the age. 
You read about that in, in uh, Revelation 20. He will be cast into the lake of fire. So, verse 16 says, he said, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, in other words, the Christian life is going to be a life of warfare. Every generation is going to have to know how to put on the armor of God, how to stand in the finished work of Christ, how to resist the devil, how to fight the good fight of faith, etc., etc. Now, verse 15, the verse that is the sandwich between those two verses. Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. You might have in your margin the Hebrew name for God there, Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. Now, a banner was a standard or an ensign, if you like, that took people into battle. People rallied around the banner. Now, we often think of a banner as being a flag, but it wasn't always a flag. In fact, it wasn't often a flag. It was often uh, like a, a shining, glittering ornament on a pole because the sun would catch that. And, and while that was being held in battle, uh, the army would look and see that the banner was being lifted high and they were fighting under the name of that banner because it represented them as a people, as a nation. And uh, you know that sometimes uh, uh, armies uh, march into battle under their flag. And often the, the flag bearer might get killed. And so the flag would fall to the ground, which is a terrible thing, because if the flag was ever thrown to the ground, it meant surrender. So another soldier would come quickly and lift up the flag, so that the, the army would constantly be looking at the flag and seeing that, that they were marching and fighting uh, in the name of that banner and under that banner. Now, um, so it was a gathering point for, for battle. And when Moses was on the mount, was on the hill, he lifted his hands and that was the banner. He lifted his hands with the rod of God in his hands because he was saying, the Lord is our banner. He was lifting his hands unto the Lord. And he was saying, the Lord is our banner. We're going into battle in the name of the Lord. Now, friends, as I said, there's no doubt about it. There is a warfare in your life and my life. The question is not whether we will know warfare. It is this, that when we do know warfare, under whose banner will we fight in the day of battle? Amen? Will we learn to raise our hands unto the Lord as a symbol that our trust and our confidence is in the name of the Lord. Will we, that's why the Bible often says to lift up the hands that hang down. Amen? Because a lot of Christians are in a battle and they've forgotten to call upon the name of the Lord. And they've forgotten to stand in God's name and God's strength and their hands have fallen down. And so the lifting of hands in the Bible is actually a picture of prayer. Let me read to you from the psalm, Psalm 28 and verse 2. The psalmist said this, Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you, when I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Hear me when I pray, when I lift my hands towards your sanctuary. They lifted their hands toward the sanctuary of the Lord, saying, Our trust is in the living God. 
Now that's not just an Old Testament thing. Over in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says this, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands, declaring the Lord is our banner, Jehovah Nissi. Now some of you might be going through difficulties right now. Are your hands hanging down? Or are, they, are your hands lifted up? Is, is your confidence, is your focus, is your faith, is your trust in the Lord? Depicted by the raising of your hands. That's why we Pentecostals raise our hands. It's a biblical thing. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. It's the lifting up of the banner. You know that Jesus is called our banner? Do you know that? In the Bible, he's called our banner. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 to 12, we read these words. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. He will set up a banner for the nations. God has set a banner for you. His name is Jesus. He brought us into his banqueting house and his banner over us is love. Amen? Hallelujah. Eternal, everlasting, unconditional love. And we lift our names up to the banner, declaring, lifting the banner of the Lord, saying our trust and our confidence is in him. And so this story was given to us to because God wanted to impress upon the church in the ages to come the importance of prayer in our lives. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a lifeline. It's a lifeline, friends. Amen? And so to, import, to, uh, to impress upon us the importance of prayer, he told this story that shows very clearly that success depended upon the raising of Moses' hands, which is a symbol of prayer, lifting up the banner of the Lord. Jesus said a similar thing. He said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. What is the alternative of praying? Fainting. Losing heart, as one translation says. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And, and to pray, we need to learn to pray in the Spirit. Do you remember, uh, after Jesus said that, he told a story about a woman who was a widow. Now, in those days, there was no welfare system. If a woman lost her husband, she lost her breadwinner, she lost her livelihood, and she was just totally uh, in despair. And, and often people would take advantage of a woman in that situation. And this woman obviously had an enemy who was taking advantage of her, and she went to a judge, and this judge didn't listen to her. He couldn't care about her. The Bible says he didn't regard God or man. didn't care about anyone. But because this woman kept going to him and pestering him, if you like, and troubling him and, and keeping on at, you know, with her request and her petition, in the end, he gave in to her. And Jesus said, now God is not like that. If, if an unjust judge would tend to a woman's cry, how much more will your heavenly Father care for you? Amen? But you know, often we do not persevere in prayer. Often we pray once and we give up. And so this picture is a wonderful illustration of the need to be 
constant in prayer, to pray without ceasing, to pray and not give up in our Christian life. Now, what I want you to look at here is verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says that Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Now I believe very clearly that this illustrates two intercessors that we have in our lives that help us when we pray. You know, some people say, oh, you know, I just need people to lift up my hands when I'm praying, so, so please pray for me, or please pray for me when I'm going through this thing. It's not that at all. It's far greater than that. This is a picture of two intercessors that come into action when we seriously engage in prayer. Okay? Let's have a look at who they represent. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, because they're both mentioned there. Romans chapter 8. Now, the first one's not difficult to work out, is it? Aaron was the high priest. So he's a, a picture of Jesus, our great high priest. When we engage in prayer, we have an intercessor. His name is Jesus, our great high priest. And in verse 34, it says this, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Fantastic. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray, there is someone at the right hand of God interceding for you? Now, how does he intercede? How does this work? What, 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 what good does it do? What, what advantage is it for us? Well, I believe it's, it's teaching us this, that when we pray, he, our great high priest, takes our prayers and presents them to the Father in perfect form. Amen? I mean, can you believe that anything that Jesus did would be anything less than perfect? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we've got faith in our prayers when God wants us to have faith in our prayers. High priest, the one who takes our prayers and makes them perfect before God. And that's the role of an intercessor. Sometimes we get discouraged and sometimes we lose faith because we think our prayers are weak or we haven't done it properly, we haven't prayed in the right way and we get all caught up in forms of prayer, etc., etc. And yet God says, have faith in your high priest he is your intercessor, the one who takes your prayers and perfects them before God. You know, there was a time when uh, uh, the, the, Jesus took the Pharisees on because they were so uh, hypocritical. They, they were trying to get out of little oaths that they took. And they said things like this. If you swear by the altar of the temple, if you take an oath and you swear by the altar of the temple, it doesn't matter. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, well, you've got to keep that, that oath. And Jesus said, how ridiculous. What, what is more important, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Now, Jesus is the altar. If you've ever done a study in the tabernacle, 
He is the golden altar. And, and he's the one that the incense is laid upon. We lay our gift of prayer upon the golden incense of the person of Jesus. That's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers, don't we? It's not a formula. It's the fact that we're going through our great high priest who is perfecting our prayers and presenting them perfect before God. And so he sanctifies our prayers. He sets them apart under God, makes them acceptable, even a sweet-smelling savour to our God. So you look at that, you, you find that that is consistent in the, in, the, in the Bible, that Jesus is the altar and that the prayers of the saints are the incense that is offered on the altar and the altar sanctifies the gift. Okay, but we're not really talking about the intercession of Jesus this morning. There's another person there holding up the other arm. And his name was Her, which I've always thought was a very unfortunate name for a man. Personally, I think it might be quite confusing. You know, can you ask him to come over here? Who? Her. <laughs> Talk about gender conflict. I mean, uh, he wouldn't know whether he was Arthur or Martha, would he? But, you know, but anyway, we don't know much about her, ex him, <laughs> except to say that his name means bright or light, shining, white. That's, that's the meaning of the name of her. And he's a picture to us of the Holy Spirit, our other intercessor. Okay, so it says there in, in, in Exodus 17:12, we, we read that there was one holding up uh, a hand, one on one side and the other on the other side. So we have two intercessors. One on that side of eternity, Jesus, and the other on this side of eternity, the Holy Spirit. One living in heaven, the other living in your heart. They're both there to in intercede. Now we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit helps us as our intercessor. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses... For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is a powerful ministry. See, Paul says this, we have a problem when we pray. We have a weakness and that problem is this, that we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We think we do. We, we know what we want. But is that the right thing to pray? And that's our weakness. In fact, if you look at this passage, we don't have time to look at it in detail, but it actually starts at verse 18. And Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The context is suffering. And it's when you're going through a difficult time, that's when you don't know what to pray for. As I say, we think we know what to pray for, which is, get me out. <laughs> get me out of here. God, help. Is that right? But sometimes that's not always the best thing for you or I. You know, we think it is because we've got Earth's perspective. But from heaven's perspective, there might be a bigger plan 
a bigger picture that we're not aware of. For example, God might actually be doing something in you during this time of trial and testing that is building something in you, building character in you, that is changing you into the likeness of Jesus, that is building your faith and your confidence in him to trust him when you cannot see him. Amen. Or that ultimately will bring more glory to God than your deliverance. Now that's hard to accept, I know, at times. But that's biblical. There are times when, when, when God wants us to stay with it, to go through it, because he's actually doing some things that we cannot see at that time. You know, in the, in the Gospels, there are two accounts of storms. One of them, Jesus rebuked. You remember that? Be still. And it was all over. Calm. The other, actually, he brought them through it to the other side. He didn't rebuke the storm, but he did bring them through it. Now, I think that's significant because life is like that. Sometimes God does do miraculous, spectacular things in our lives. Incredible deliverances. I would say each one of us could give up and give a, a testimony to the glory of God where he has miraculously intervened in our lives and uh, uh, it could only be God. Amen? But there are also times when we've cried out for God to get us out and he kept us in. <laughs> and yet he gave us the grace to come through and it's only in hindsight and sometimes even years later that we see the wisdom of what God was doing. Now just keep your finger in Romans 8 and come with me to Hebrews chapter 11 which as you know is a great chapter of faith. It's a great chapter of men and women who prove God in their lives through faith. Through just lifting up the banner of the Lord, lifting up their hands to God and uh, trusting in Him. And uh, you know, incident after incident. The walls of Jericho come down, the Red Sea parts, and all these incredible things. But then you come down to verse 32, and it says this, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to, uh, uh, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All incredible deliverances and miracles. But then he says this, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having to obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Now, both of them, both of those groups appear in this chapter of men and women of faith. Some had incredible deliverances. 
others had power to endure, to come through what they were going through. And uh, that's our problem, dear friends, when we pray. That is our problem. What to pray for and how to pray. But be encouraged. Even Jesus had this problem. When he was on earth as a man, the Bible says this in John 12, 27, 28, Jesus prayed this prayer as he uh, anticipated the cross. He said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. See, there's two things he could have prayed. Father, save me. Father, glorify thy name. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed three times. If it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then eventually, he knew. He knew the will of God. He got up. He said, rise, let us, let's, get, let's be going. He knew that God was telling him to go on to the cross. And what about Paul? He had that thorn in the flesh. And he didn't know how to pray about that. I'm sure he thought, you know, God, if you take this away, I can do so much more for you. I can be so much more effective for you without this. And he prayed, what, three times. Three times. And then eventually, he knew God's will. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You say you're weak with this, but my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. You'll know more of my glory upon you. You'll know more of my power and my grace working in you with this thing. And so he got up, he said, well, then I will rejoice in this infirmity. But when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Amen? And so how did he know? How did he know what was the will of God? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit told him, you know, we talked the other day about learning to hear the voice of the Spirit. And the Spirit showed him. In fact, going back to Romans 8 and verse 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. That word help is a very interesting word in the Greek. It means to take hold of together with another. Okay, let's say, for example, I wanted you to help me to move this communion table. Okay, so I said, would you give us a hand? Would you help me to move this table? So I get at one end and you get at the other. I pull and you push and we move it, right? Or we lift it. We do it together. But if you were to come up and you get that end and I sit down, I say, well, thanks for that. I really appreciate you helping me. You say, that's not helping you. That's me doing it for you. Now, the meaning of the word help is that we do it together. And so prayer is something we do with the Holy Spirit. And actually, the word one of the words that's used for the Holy Spirit is the word advocate, okay? Now, if you have to go and see a lawyer, he will help you in your case. You've got to go to court, and he will help you. He won't do it for you. He won't be in the dock for you and give all the answers for you. He can't do that. But he will tell you what to say. They say, now, you're going to be asked this. This is what you've got to say. Now, don't bring this up. Don't say this. And, and be careful that they don't get you to say this. But make sure you cover this, this. And so he helps you to present your case in the best possible way. And you're doing it together. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we come to prayer. He helps us 
because we don't know what we should pray for as we ought to pray. And so he shows us, he teaches us, and then also he brings us to a place of yieldedness because sometimes what we need to be praying for is not what we want to pray. You know, we want to just get out of this thing the quickest way. Get me out of here. <laughs> you know, and the Holy Spirit shows us that God is doing something in our lives at times. And when we know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, that brings faith into our hearts because we know that we're praying according to the will of God. Listen to what John says. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. And so the Holy Spirit shows us the will of God, which gives us faith, because we know we're praying according to the will of God. You know, some Christians, they've only got one prayer. It's help, get me out of this. Now that's okay when we're baby Christians. You know, it's very sad when we've been on the road for, for 30 years and I hear Christians saying, you know, and I prayed for God to get me out of this and he didn't get out. I don't know what he's doing. You know, hey, come on, friends. Let's grow up. Let's learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let's learn who this God is. Let's have a relationship with him. Let's hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Oh, you know, as we just wait on God, we know he's working as he shows us and speaks to us, and, and there's a groaning that takes place that he doesn't, doesn't even need words because we know that we're engaging the Holy Spirit. See, prayer is like an electric circuit. It starts with God. It comes to us, through us, and back to God. It's like an electric circuit, and that's praying in the Spirit, praying according to the will of God. And the result is, in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. When we pray in the Spirit, we know that all things work together for good, not just the good things. Amen? Not just the good things. We just pray, give me good, Lord, give me good. And this is what is good. I'll tell you what's good for me, God. This is what's good. Give me good. God says, I know what's good, <laughs> and I'm going to make all things work together for good. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We looked at this passage um, just a few weeks ago. One Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. See, it's not in our hearts what God has prepared. We don't know those things naturally. But, verse 10 says, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man, which is in so you. You see me, you know a part of me. You don't know me as I really am. Only I know myself. Only you know yourself. Well, only God knows God. Only the Spirit of God can reveal God to us. Amen? So it says, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, the wonderful, wonderful comforter, our helper in prayer, is given to us to know what is in God's heart and God's mind, even if we don't understand it. He doesn't promise it to us that we will understand it. But if we would just know what is in God's heart, we know how to pray according to the will of God. You know, when, when uh, go back about, say, nine months ago, when our time at Chugan Church there was coming to an end, um, there was a crossroads in our life. I was doing a fair bit of um, itinerant ministry and I didn't know whether to continue doing that because we knew that we were finishing up at Chugan or whether to start another church. And, uh, you know, a lot of people try to speak into my life, even, even some of the ministers where I was ministering, I shared what, where we were at. And uh, I remember one guy said, you know, Ken, you are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Starting another church again at your age, you know, and kind of your age of ministry, you should... You know, why, why do you keep starting from rock bottom and starting, you know, from ground level again? And, and you know, by, by this time you should have a church reaping the benefits and just living off, you know, the, the work that's done in the past, etc., etc. And then others said, you, you're going, you're thinking about going where? Reedy Creek? That's not the Bible belt, that's the buckle of the belt, you know, kind of like. See, people think from a human perspective. That's all we can do. And, you know, during this time, I was praying, I was praying over several months. You know when it says that Paul prayed three times? Do you think he prayed three times in a day? I don't think so. I think he went to God three separate times in, in a significant way with this thing until he knew in his spirit the mind of God, you know? And, and, and as I began to pray, God began to speak to me very, very, very clear. My mind was working overtime in the natural because I thought, well, you know, tucked away around here, who's going to know about us? Whereas on where we were at Chugan, we were right on the highway there. We were constantly getting visitors coming in off the street. But, you know, you can't think with human reason. You've got to, we've got to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. He is our helper. He will lead us. He will guide us. You know, we came here, you, you, you know the rest. It's history. We can see that God's hand is upon this church in a significant way, that he's got a plan, he's got a future. This is just the beginning. We've just put our little toe in the water. I believe that. I believe there's great things ahead for this church. But eye has not seen those things back there. Ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into our minds what God has prepared for us. That's why we need to learn to hear his voice. And I encourage you, you know, we've got some big decisions coming up here, you know, regarding the growth and uh, um, etc. I'll share some plans with you later on maybe. Um, just some things that we're facing and we just need to know what God is saying. And do you know what? I know we will hear it. 
God doesn't keep us in the dark. What sort of God would keep us guessing? What sort of God would keep us out there without us hearing the voice of God? If we'll take time, if we'll be serious about this and learn to wait on God, you'll learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. And you'll, you'll know how to pray with total confidence because you are praying in the will of God. Amen. Isn't it great that we've got two intercessors? One on that side and the other on this side. One lifting up this arm, the other lifting up that arm. That we can lift up holy hands to God and pray in confidence to lift our banner to the Lord in the day of battle because He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. Amen. Amen.